Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Well, hey, Mercy Church, good morning. It is so good, so good uh, to be back with you guys. Uh, The past few months, (laughs) man, they've been something else, all right? Uh, I know it, and one of the things the Lord is teaching me in the middle of all this is to look for how he is being faithful uh, to me in my life and to be thankful for his faithfulness and his goodness and kindness towards me because it's just... It's just been so easy to get down on all the things that I feel like are going wrong in my world. I don't know. It's what the Lord's been teaching me, and I'm so thankful for for our church. I'm thankful for the way the Lord is guiding us. I'm thankful for my family, you know, my wife, my kids, and I'm thankful for you guys. I'm thankful for the way that you have stuck with uh, me and your elders as we've tried to navigate through this difficult time. Uh, I want to tell you, I'm really thankful for the team of preachers that we've had preach over the past six weeks. I mean, how awesome is it? We only had only Pastor Ryan last week. He's the only guy who's not a part of our staff team who was uh, preaching. I mean, it's just the Lord has blessed us. And I want to thank you for your encouragement to all those preachers. Man, they've just had such a good experience and continue to talk about uh, the joy that it is for them to be a part of the team here at Mercy. And so I'm just, I'm grateful for the Mercy family and for what he's, for what the Lord is doing. And I just want to make a point in my life, and I hope you will in yours, to celebrate more of the, the goodness of God towards us. Um, it's so big, y'all. All right, listen, I grew up um, going to a church, and the church that I grew up going to had these books that had all of the songs that we would sing written down in them already. Pretty convenient, pretty smart. Um, they called the songs hymns, and so the book was called the hymnal, all right? And I have one of those here. I managed to find one in an archive somewhere, all right? And there was this, there's probably about a set of five to seven songs, which is common anywhere, uh, that we would just sing into the ground over and over again. And one of those was called, I have decided to follow Jesus. All right. I have decided to follow Jesus. I don't know if it's because it was the easiest one for the pipe organ to play or what, but we over and over and over went after that song. It'd be very simple. Turn to turn to page 191 or song 191. And here we go. And it even has the music that nobody knew how to read in there for you, for you to go along with. I have decided to follow Jesus. Uh, no turning back, no turning back. If, if you, you might know that song as well. But listen, here's the thing. Even as I graduated high school, went off to college and found uh, a church that didn't use hymnals and that song, we didn't really sing it. Because I sang it so much in my childhood, it just kind of made its way into my memory bank, right? It was just a part, like it just kind of runs in there, right? And so I'm in my freshman year of college, and even though I hadn't sung the song in in actually probably years, um, (laughs) I had this moment where a guy was trying to help me follow Jesus, help me be a disciple of Jesus, and he looks at my life and he says, hey man, I just got to ask you a question. Have you really, (laughs) are you really sure you want to follow Jesus? And I was like... Yes, in fact, I have a song. I have decided to follow, you know, just coming out of it. And I was like, what are you talking about? He says, well, I know you sing that, but your song doesn't seem to match up with your life 
because you sing, you've decided to follow Jesus. But there's some areas in your life here where it seems like you're all about yourself and your own agenda. Thank God, by the way, for friends like this. You find one of these friends who will love you and be honest with you about your life. Don't write them off, right? Instead, maybe listen to what they have to say to you. But anyways, he's saying that he's like, you might be more of a customer of Jesus than you are a follower, right? Like one who has received, thank you, Jesus, for your salvation. Now I'm going to go on about my business instead of a follower who's about his father's business. It's a really big moment for me and stuck with me. And I bring that up because I think we need to grapple with this very simple decision. I mean, that's what makes that song stick is it's just a statement of a simple commitment. I have decided to follow Jesus. I think we need to grapple with whether we have really decided to follow Jesus or not with our whole lives and, and what that means, what's at stake in that. Because there's no such thing as a Christian who isn't a follower of Jesus. And that decision to follow Jesus, that's not one we just make one time when we place our faith in Christ for our salvation. That's a decision we make daily, right. hourly, even moment to moment. So we got to tear down the notion that we can be customers of Jesus who receive his salvation and go on about our business. And we got to decide, are we followers or not? So y'all, here's what I want to do. Over the next four weeks, we're going to join in the group of disciples who followed Jesus in his ministry. We're going to do this by looking at one very deep, rich chapter of scripture, and that's Mark chapter 8. For the next four weeks, we're just going to sit in Mark chapter 8, all right? And at the end of this chapter, here's what's going to happen. Jesus draws a line in the sand. Not literally, but you understand like the, those moments, those decision point kind of moments. And he's going to say, listen, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. It's a bold statement. He says, whoever wants to save his life is going to lose it. But whoever will lose his life because of me and my gospel, that person will actually find true life. In short, Everybody comes to this moment, you got to decide to follow Jesus. So this week and the next two weeks is Jesus, what we're going to see is Jesus is preparing them. He's setting them up for that moment where he's actually going to draw that line in the sand and call them to a decision. He's going to say, it's going to cost you everything, but it's also the only way to save your life. And then in our fourth week, the last week of this little look at Mark 8, that's when it's going to come to the confrontation with Jesus. Will you really follow him. But Mark 8 starts with a really cool miracle. All right. He's going to feed 4,000 people with just seven loaves of bread. And one reason he does this is that he's going to show the disciples, disciples, listen, you're not even, you're not able to provide for my followers. And in fact, you can't even provide for yourselves in your own strength. But Jesus can not only provide, he can provide abundance. He can provide way more than enough for what we need. That's what I want you to see today. Because, y'all, listen, I'm under the belief that you're only going to decide to follow Jesus. You're only going to choose Jesus. You're only going to say, okay, Jesus will be at the center of my life instead of me and my agenda. And I'll orient all of my decisions, all of the arenas of my life around what he has to say. And I'll choose to obey him. I'm only going to do that if I believe that that thing in the center, that Jesus, is going to provide for me more than I could on my own. Right? If he's actually better than anything I could do myself. 
I got to believe that Jesus will really provide. And then, yes, I'll, I'll choose him. Now, this is a cool thing. Today, I hope that your heart is just filled up with, with joy and hope and anticipation of what God might do, because that's what this text is all about, is watching Jesus provide in abundance for his followers, all right? So we're going to jump in here. Oh, so I, I'm excited about this. I'm excited about to be preaching. Excited about this text. Here we go. Verse 1, Mark 8. In those days... There was again a large crowd, and they had nothing to eat. So he called the disciples and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they've already stayed with me three days and have nothing to eat. Okay, stop. Check this. It's another large crowd. All right? Another large crowd that doesn't have any food. Another large crowd that doesn't have any food that Jesus has compassion on. This is very familiar, and that's because in Mark 6, Jesus fed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. He's been there and done that. Is Mark, what's Mark doing here? It's just two chapters ago. Is he telling the same story again? Like, are Jesus' miracles so few that Mark had to run a rerun right here for, for today? No. Mark is telling this different story precisely because it is so similar to the other one. And the reason he tells it is because it's a different crowd. See, in this scene, they're out in a region called Decapolis. And this region is known or was known to be generally more filled with Gentiles than the scene from Mark 6. Gentiles, which you can just hear is non-Jewish people, okay? This is a big, big deal because the Jewish community thought that the Savior, they were God's chosen people, thought that the Savior was to come for them. And here, Jesus is among the Gentiles saying he has the exact same compassion on them that he does on the Jews, He's saying to the disciples, you got, you got to see, you got to put yourself in the shoes of the disciples coming along in Jesus' ministry. He's saying to the disciples, you see these people that don't look like you from a different place. Guess what? I love them. I love them just as much as I love you. In fact, the word, oh, it is fun Greek word time, okay? So excited for this. All right, that word compassion there is an awesome Greek word. The word is splangidzomai, all right? In fact, I'm gonna put it up on the screen for you. I'm not, but it'll magically appear through technology, okay? And it's gonna be on the screen. It says splangidzomai. Awesome word for you. It's a gut level, like, groaning compassion love that Jesus has, right? That's the, that's what this is not just, you know, I love them too. This is a, a deep, deep love for them. He's saying he, he has this love for every single person who will receive it. And what's so cool about this, you and I are Gentiles, right? I mean, most likely everybody watching this, 99% of people watching this are Gentiles. And as Jesus shows the disciples his love for all peoples, you and I need to hear that's him saying his love is for us too. He's bringing all peoples to himself. And that's big because listen, then what's he going to do at the end of the, at the end of his ministry? He's going to send his disciples out onto a mission, and that mission is going to be to make disciples of all peoples. That's why we as a church, core value of ours is to send God's people to all peoples, and these disciples are going to go, and they're going to see people from all nations that don't look like them, who have all kinds of brokenness in their past, and they're going to think back and remember back to this moment, and they're going to remember Splangidzomai. 
They're going to remember that love. Listen, a follower of Jesus is never one who looks down on another human. A follower of Jesus is one who kneels down alongside of another human. And with that splangitsumai of Christ, says, how can I serve you with the love of Christ? How can I meet a need you have because of the love of Christ that he has for me is what I have towards you. That's a follower of Christ. That's what Jesus is trying to embed into the hearts of the disciples right here. Let's go to verse three. He says, if I send them home hungry, they will collapse along the way. And some of them will come a long distance. (sighs) Look, if they try to get food on their own, they will collapse. They won't make it. You see what he's preparing the disciples to hear in just a few, a few paragraphs? If they try to save their lives, they'll lose it. If they try to feed themselves, they'll starve. If they try to save their own lives, they'll lose it. Jesus is about to demonstrate in this miracle that he is more than enough to meet every need we have, and we're hopeless without him. Y'all, I, I don't know, sometimes I run myself completely ragged, trying to prove myself and provide for myself apart from Jesus. Trying to like control situations that are out of my control. I think about the health of my family. Uh, You know, we, we do this all the time with financial security. We do, I know I do it a lot with trying to get approval from others and make sure I say just the right thing and just the right group. And I get real tired, (laughs) tired on the verge a, a few times of collapsing. I know many that have collapsed from the famine they experienced trying to feed their souls with the empty things of this world. Look at verse four. This is a great question. His disciples answered him, where can anyone get enough bread here in this desolate place to feed these people? They're in this desolate place that, like I said, Decapolis, most likely this, uh, or the area that they say this is, it's this rugged, hilly terrain that's just pretty much barren. Awesome image for 2020, I feel like, right? And this great question, Mark is very intentional with the placement here. We're going to see Jesus next week's going to have a little heart to heart with the disciples about how easily, listen, about how easily they forget his past provision when they are in a present moment of need. And this true of us. I mean, the disciples aren't, they're not as dense as sometimes people make them out to be. In fact, I just think they're, they're just displaying the human experience really well. In their moment of need, they lose perspective. I mean, the answer to their question is very obvious. Where can we get bread for 4,000 people right here? Nowhere! Right? There isn't anywhere in this region you're going to get bread for 4,000 people. So let me pause here for a second and ask you to consider, take a little inventory of yourself. Are you in a desolate place right now? Maybe it's your loneliness that's to the point of desolation. Is your marriage in a desolate place? Is your work? What about your friendships? Let's be real. Maybe you got some hurt, some suffering that has you to the point where you describe yourself as desolate, maybe hanging on by a thread, not sure how this is going to work out. Maybe God has allowed you to get out to that desolate place where he can finally be your only option. 
because nothing else is going to work. I mean, can we stop just kidding ourselves with that whole, I'm going to put on a good face and smile while my world is crumbling? Can that be the lesson of this year that denying the reality of the desolate place, that's not going to take you out of the desolate place. Just putting on a positive attitude. You can't positive attitude your way out of a desolate place. That's starvation with a smile. It's not going to work. You got to be honest, honest with yourself, honest with somebody else. But I will tell you, you're not alone in your suffering. This is very important. You're not alone in your pain. You're not the only one in crisis who's not sure if you're going to make it. And that's not meant to like to minimize it. It's to say there are other people around. I mean, look, even in our passage, the desolate place is filled with a crowd of people who need to be fed. In fact, they had traveled a long way. This is kind of great. And they're at the point, like Jesus and the crowd both know what's at stake here. Like the crowd knows they can't travel back to get food. They're doing the math in their head. They can't travel back to get food. And Jesus knows they can't go anywhere else to get food. They're in a place where they can't provide for themselves. So they're kind of sticking with Jesus and hoping he's going to provide. And remember, Jesus is preparing them, preparing these disciples for that line in the sand moment where they got to lose everything to follow him. And what he's showing them right here, you can't find life anywhere else. It's not just that Jesus is better than all the other options that are around. As if there were bread trucks stationed all around. And you know, you got the rye truck over there, right? You got the whole wheat and the white wheat. Got no, there's nothing like that, right? It's that Jesus is a source of abundant life in a desolate land. That's the claim of the gospel. He's not the better option for you. He's the only option for you. But that only option is more than enough for you. It gives you an abundant life if you'll latch on to it. Watch this, verse 5. How many loaves do you have? He asked them. Seven, they said. And he commanded the crowd to sit down on the ground. Taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks, broke them, gave them to his disciples to set before the people. So they served them to the crowd. And because perfect Jesus ate bread, thank God for bread and served bread, all diets that deny bread are from the devil. <laughs> Just extra bonus teaching. No, I'm playing. No, I'm playing. Um, I know some of y'all are in the, blah, blah, blah. All right, verse seven. They also had a few small fish. And after he had blessed them, he said, these were to be served as well. For a second, all right, put yourself in the Birkenstocks of these disciples, okay? Are you standing there? You're seeing what's happening? How, like, how humbling is this? How awe-inspiring is this? Here's what I want you to see right here. Jesus doesn't go around the forgetful disciples to feed the crowd. He doesn't. He doesn't go around them to feed the crowd. Instead, he invites them in and allows them, commissions them to participate in the distribution of his provision. Woo. Oh. Jesus is the one that multiplies. Jesus is the one that has the power. Jesus is the one that performs the miracles. And you know what he, he could have done? He could have just spoken. After all, this is the one who created the world with words right? So he could have just spoken and said, bellies be full. Maybe snapped his finger Thanos style or something like that. He could have just done that and it'd be done. But instead, 
He invites the disciples in. He commissions, look at this, commissions them to be servers to the crowds. They serve the food Jesus creates that will nourish the people. Oh. And every single, every single time they hand it to somebody, that's a miracle. This isn't one miracle. This is 4,000 miracles happening right here. And I mean, that's insane. Can you imagine tonight at dinner, you get to personally distribute 4,000 divided by 12, 333 miracles. <laughs> Here's the point. Jesus has the power to give abundant life in a desolate land. And in his divine sovereignty and mercy and kindness, he has invited his followers to be servers of the feast that he has prepared. That's who the church is. That's you and I. The best thing for our faith is to be a part of distributing his gospel, his love, his provision to a lost and desolate world. When you take your eyes off of you, and get caught up in what God is doing beyond you and become a server of God's grace to those spaces beyond you, all of a sudden your belief is strengthened in what he can do in your life. Verse eight. So they ate and they were satisfied. And then they collected seven large baskets of leftover pieces and about 4,000 were there. He dismissed them. They were satisfied. One thing you'll come to understand as you read the Bible, especially here in the Gospels, no word is wasted. The people ate, and they were satisfied. There were leftovers. In a desolate land, they didn't just survive. They had abundance. And when God brings you to a point where all you have left to say is that all you have is Christ that place right there is where you can experience the abundant life God offers you in Christ. He really is enough, more than enough. And the purpose of feeding their bellies is to show them that he can feed their souls. You know, the Gospel of John records a conversation between Jesus and the crowd later about how he fed the 5,000. They come back again. They're looking for more bread because they're hungry again. And here's what he says, John 6. He says, listen, you need the bread of God. Verse 33, for the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven. Look at that. The bread of God is not a, um, it's not a thing anymore. All of a sudden it's the one who, it's a person who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, sir, give us this bread always. And he says, verse 35, I am the bread of life. Jesus told them, no one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Man, bread shows up a lot in Jesus' teachings. It's so simple and so profound. It's going to show up next week with us. But his point is that your main need isn't bread. You don't need a quick fix from God. You don't need the circumstances to get a little better. Your greatest need isn't the bread from Jesus. Your greatest need is Jesus. You need to draw close to him, his love, his security, his forgiveness, his strength. That's the bread your soul was meant to be nourished by. You want your marriage fixed. Good. It begins with desperation for Jesus. 
I'm not minimizing the hurts that have happened. You got to deal with those. You need to go into counseling. You need to get help. But unless you cling to Jesus, you'll never have the marriage you were meant to have. And here's the thing. If your marriage falls apart, if your spouse abandons you, Jesus will be enough for you in that moment. If you've been clinging to him more than enough. And I can line up people in our church who can testify to that. Listen, maybe you've been laid off or furloughed, taking a pay cut. Maybe you're in a desolate place there where anxiety is just locking you up. I'm not minimizing income. What I'm saying is you can have peace even when you don't have those things figured out. A peace that passes understanding. A peace, listen, that will not come apart from Christ even if money comes in abundance. Financial stability is not stability. You only find that in Christ. You need the bread of life. Many of us are thinking, happiness or at least stress relief will come when the world starts back up, you know, when I can return to my old rhythms. But can we pause and think for a second? Did those old rhythms satisfy the deep longings of your soul? Because maybe all they did was distract you. As I recall, stress levels were not at an all-time low pre-COVID. They were at an all-time high. No, maybe God has us out in a desolate place so we'll finally be open to finding our happiness in the bread of life alone. That's why he says, John 15, abide in me, rest, make your home in me, then you'll bear fruit, abide. That's time together with Jesus, living out of that, walking with him and then living out of that. And you know, it's kind of crazy here. The bread giver is saying, that he is the bread, which had me thinking, um, one of our pastors, Joey Schwartz, who thinks in hilarious scenes and situations and stuff, he says, it's kind of like you go into a bakery and there's, instead of the baker behind the counter, it's a loaf of bread. And the loaf of bread is like, what you need is not any of it. You need me. And then he just tears it off and hands it to you. Isn't that crazy? That's what's happening here. All right, let me pull this home. That was a little weird, but you're going to think about it. And that's the thing that that makes it good. Let's bring this home. Look, we've named this series, I Have Decided. And that's because the decision to follow Jesus is a decision that we face every day. You face it moment to moment. And you're going to have, some of you have some big decisions already in front of you. Some are just going to surface over the course of this series. Maybe it's the person you're dating. And you got to, we're going to go through this thing of, okay, if I have decided to follow Jesus, what does Jesus say about the relationship I'm in? For some of you, it's going to be something much more um, maybe mundane, but very impactful, like setting an alarm in the mornings to get up and abide in Christ. Use your phone. I have an alarm in my phone that is labeled, I have decided. (laughs) And it goes off in the morning because the action of getting up and meeting with God does not happen accidentally. All right. You got to decide to. Right? I'm not a morning person. I used to be a morning person. Now I'm a sleep person, okay? <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta work to do that. But tomorrow morning when that thing goes off, what's gonna happen is I'm gonna fight everything in me that wants to lay in bed and I'm gonna say I have decided, right? I get out of bed and I'm gonna go spend time with the one who gives me much deeper rest than my bed ever could. When temptation comes at you, I have decided. When peer pressure comes at you, I have decided. When the chance to step out and share the gospel comes to you, I've decided. When the chance to bless your friend 
or a total stranger by giving your time, your money, your energy, I've decided. When the chance to choose revenge or forgiveness comes at you, I've decided. Following Christ is a decision each day. And what happens each day when you step out and follow him, he's going to show you again and again how he's not just the better option. He's the only option for true life. Now, here's the great news. (laughs) The gospel is for a people who are trying to follow Jesus. Sometimes they mess up. Jesus doesn't. Here's so great. (laughs) As you seek to follow him, but then you don't get up in the morning. Then you choose revenge. You choose this self-righteous justification. You choose greed. You choose whatever. And then you go back to him, repentant. You don't find a judge waiting to drop the gavel. You find a father with his arms open, waiting to embrace you. That's the great hope. We are the people of the second chance as a church, always. That is the, that's God's people. That's the people of Christ. Listen, the... Um, that song, I Have Decided. I was, I was studying this week, just kind of looked it up. It's a fascinating um, origin story. There was a um, Welsh revival, 19th century. Much people come to faith, much people realize that their faith was never meant to just stay with them. But as Christ calls us to himself, he also sends us out, right, to all peoples. And so some people leave from Wales to go to the nations as missionaries. And there's a, a couple of missionaries went to a remote Indian village. And the first man in this Indian village, he converts to Christianity. His name was Nok Singh. And then others started to follow. Well, the chief in this local village sees that there's this little revolution kind of going on here. And he might be losing power. So he orders Nok Singh, his two sons, his wife, into the center of the village. And he's going to have them executed unless he recants. He says, you need to recant right now. Nok Singh refuses. The chief orders his two sons shot with arrows right in front of him. And they fall down dead. And the chief says, you need to recant right now. He says, and he refuses. And so his wife is shot, falls down dead right in front of him. The chief says, you need to recant. Nok Singh refuses. He's shot and killed. The reason we know this story, the chief was haunted, he said, by the words of Nok Singh's refusal. Because each time, all Nok Singh would say is, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. And that haunted the chief. The chief met another one of these missionaries soon after, hears the gospel and believes, and the whole village follows suit. And an Indian missionary, Sandhu Sundar Singh, writes the song after hearing the story from the chief. And then later, uh, all the way up into the 20th, sometime in the early 20th century, a guy uh, adapts it into an English hymn. The Billy Graham Crusades pick it up and it becomes this thing that winds up in this hymn book that then becomes this part of my childhood that then calls me back to that simple decision to follow Jesus. Um, You have no idea what that simple I have decided might the ripple effect that might have for generations. And you really don't need to worry about it. What you need to know is that when you step out and say, yes, I'm going to, I've decided to follow Jesus. He is more than enough for you. 
and he will provide for you. His presence with you is all you need today. The security that he gives you, the eternity that waits for you, the spirit of God with you, that's all you need for joy today. But then you'll watch him provide over and over again in your life as you follow him. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you for your grace in Christ. Thank you that you are more than enough for me. God, I pray for for anyone who's watching right now, whether in one of our watch parties, on their own, wherever. God, I pray that your spirit would grant them the, the strength in the soul, the courage in the soul to say, yes, I have decided to follow Jesus. I'm going to follow I'm not going to turn back. I, Jesus, I'm yours. God, I pray for those that are hurting, that are, that are saying, yeah, I want to, but man, look at my life. I've been wondering where God is. I'm in this desolate place. I pray that you would show them afresh your abundance of provision, that you satisfy the soul. And I pray that you would grant that in a deep way today. God, I pray that we as a church be people convinced that you are the one only true source of life. And I pray that you would cause us in joy to go and serve a desolate world with this great hope of the gospel. Only you can do that, Father. So we commit ourselves to you. Thank you for the love of Christ. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.